Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unchained, your no-hype resource for all things crypto. I'm your host, Laura Shin. In case you haven't heard, I have another crypto podcast called Unconfirmed. It's shorter, newsier, and comes out Fridays. If you haven't yet, go subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. Also, find out what I think are the top stories in crypto by signing up for my weekly newsletter at unchainedpodcast.com. Kraken is the best exchange in the world for buying and selling digital assets. It has the tightest security, deep liquidity, and a great fee structure with no minimum or hidden fees. Whether you're looking for a simple fiat on-ramp or futures trading, Kraken is the place for you. CypherTrace cutting-edge cryptocurrency intelligence powers anti-money laundering, blockchain analytics, and threat intel. Leading exchanges, virtual currency businesses, banks, and regulators themselves use CypherTrace to comply with regulation and to monitor compliance. Grow your crypto and earn up to 8% per year with Crypto.com. It's the place to buy over 40 coins at true cost with no fees and no markups. Download the Crypto.com app today. My guest today is Jonathan Zepatini, international ops lead and chief evangelist for Decred, and also known as Decred Jesus. Welcome, Jay-Z. Hi, Laura. It's a pleasure to be with you. So, listeners, there is an announcement about Decred today. Uh, this is maybe the second time I've done this on the show, which is kind of fun. It's not easy to do with a podcast. But before we get to that, we need to start with the basics so you even know what Decred is. So, Jay-Z, tell us, what is Decred? Sure, Laura. Um, so, before the big reveal, suspense, um, <laughs> Decred's a community-directed digital currency with built-in governance uh, to make it a superior long-term store of value. Um, so what that means, basically, and as my, my buddy Chris Berniski likes to say, uh, Decred's killer feature is good governance. And with governance, you can have any feature you want. So what does that mean? So it's that you will be a currency, but that people will be able to to help d- decide how, what the features what features the currency will have? Sure, exactly. So if we think about Bitcoin as revolutionizing banking, you know, be your own bank, um, Decred takes it one step further and says, hey, you know, you can be a, a central banker and help make kind of monetary policy, not necessarily uh, monetary policy, but decide on features. And you also said that it would also be a store of value. So it would both be used as well as have features similar to digital gold. So what we think, the way we think about this is that uh, the first issue you need to tackle is being a store of value. I mean, so much of this space is about speculation. Um, and I think, you know, that's, that applies to Decred equally. Um, but before you can go and have that meeting with exchange property, you need to be proven as a solid, secure store of value. Um, and if people want to hold your currency and they feel that it has a long-term future, um, they'll be willing to use it as a medium of exchange eventually. All right. So we'll talk a little bit more about the full vision in a while. But as you mentioned, governance is a huge part of Decred. And I think that is really, you know, key to the origin story of Decred. So how did Decred get started? That's that's really a great question. It's, it's super interesting because um, there were basically two groups that came together to found Decred. Um, one of them was Jake, our project lead, and his team at Company Zero, who were previously working on Bitcoin. So they built something called BTC Suite, which is a full node implementation in Go. So their idea was, you know, Bitcoin's this cool technology. It's going to be a money protocol. Um, to make it more secure, it's good to have multiple implementations, right? So if there's a bug, let's say, in Bitcoin Core, and, you know, half the network goes down, well, if there's other implementations, you know, it'll just keep churning along. And what they learned was that, um, you know, while Bitcoin was a lot fairer than, you know, the banking system, 
in terms of the transparency of the rules, there were still issues with, you know, how you organize people and how you get, you know, new features proposed and pushed forward. Um, and that kind of plugs into the second group that founded uh, Decred. So there's someone who goes by the name Taco Time who founded Monero. And Taco Time's big idea, essentially, was um, a white paper called Mempoint 2, where they propose a governance system so that you could have all the awesome properties of Bitcoin, proof of work, but on top of that, have it so coin holders can make decisions about how the protocol is upgraded. So Jake wasn't available for today, but I have interviewed him in the past and he told me about that period when he and I guess some other developers were trying to get into Bitcoin and he described what he called challenging interactions with the Bitcoin core developers <laughs> saying that they were incredibly hostile, adversarial and rude. And he also said that I guess one of the developers he was working with you know, as you mentioned, they, they had written this other implementation of the Bitcoin client. And he said, quote, rather than see this as a positive development, that the ecosystem is diversifying, that now there's a second option. They saw it as a threat to their power, and they responded by trying to disenfranchise us and sideline our project. And I think these feelings led him to write a blog post in November 2015, which were was, you know, I feel like actually, he must have you know, this was shortly before he announced Decred, and you can kind of see how um, his criticisms of Bitcoin kind of led to Decred. So um, I will link to this in the show notes, but uh, just to summarize, he called the way that Bitcoin was governed then an oligarchy, and he called out some of these, some issues that he saw, such as that he says um, consensus in Bitcoin is defined as 100% agreement, and that requires unanimous, unanimous consent. He said another issue is that development was completely donation-driven. He th saw there was a conflict of interest in the fact that a majority of the Bitcoin core developers were involved in the founding of Blockstream, and that there was a conflict between Blockstream's business model of sidechains versus the si block size debate. And he also said that Bitcoin businesses, miners, developers of non-Bitcoin core infrastructure and users have no vote when it comes to future decisions regarding Bitcoin. And he ended up summarizing the problems this way, quote, the current governance model of Bitcoin does not admit multiple stakeholders and is geared towards stagnation because of the way consensus among Bitcoin core developers works. Beyond this structure being built to stagnate, even a conversion from a unanimous Bitcoin core developer consensus model to a weaker one, for example, one with 66% majority required for changes, would be subject to a veto from Blockstream by merit of their employment of so many Bitcoin core develop developers. Additionally, all of us who participate in the Bitcoin ecosystem who are not Bitcoin core developers have effectively zero say in the matter. End quote. So wow, this, there's a lot there. Yes. Yeah, so this very long blog post, well, actually it wasn't that long. It basically ends with what he identified as the top two problems with Bitcoin. One, the lack of funding for development. And then two, the mm -hmm. fact that proof-of-work miners have too much power. And as far as I can tell, these really were like some of the key uh, design decisions for Decred. So can you expand on uh, these design features of Decred and how it attempts to resolve those issues? Indeed. So, um, you know, we really look at for three things with Decred. Make it as secure as possible, make it as adaptable as possible, and make it as sustainable as possible. So that would address those three broad points. Um, to start with the third, sustainability, I think, you know, that, that one's the easiest to attack just because, um, you know, it, it makes sense that if you want to have a currency and you want to have this piece of software that needs to be able to adapt and integrate new features and fix bugs, you're going to need people working on it, right? You need to be able to pay people. Um, you know, some of us are lucky. We've been in the space a long time, you know, um, caught Bitcoin early on and can do whatever we want now, but that's not a big help to new talent that comes into the space, right? Uh, most people can't afford to, you know, work full time on a project just out of passion. Um, so one thing we realize is we need to be able to pay people and that pay needs to be independent. It can't come from VCs. It can't come from, you know, um, people who invested in an ICO or anything like that. It can't, it can't be having strings attached to it. 
Um, so the idea for Decred was we'll have a treasury, it'll be decentralized, and 10% of our block reward is going to flow into that so that we have this self-renewing uh, pile of money that we can use to pay people who only care about um, Decred. Um, and uh, that's that's pretty much how we do that. Uh, well, in terms actually, of consent- wait, I want to yeah. ask you about that, about when you said that there was no ICO because uh, you didn't want strings attached. I think a lot of the theory for a lot of the people who had ICOs was that then they're sort of creating these like user owned networks. So Mm -hmm. what was the thinking there around? Because I think for them, they thought, oh, then the incentives are aligned. But you guys saw it differently? Yeah, we saw it the exact opposite way, actually. So for us, it was, um, look, if if we say we're going to build something and then, you know, you give me a pile of money, where's my incentive to actually deliver, right? Um, and in the case of a, a software product like Decred, um, you know, if it's a bunch of people get this preferential access in like an ICO or a pre-ICO, um, you know, there's there's a lot of other issues. You know, is it a security afterwards, right? So we didn't want to raise any external money. We figured if if the product idea is good, um, if it has value in the market, if the market gives it value, um, the treasury will have value, uh, and then it will become self-sustaining. If the market thinks it's terrible, um, it'll be worthless and, you know, it won't be able to sustain itself. So, you know, no external capital, no strings attached. Um, and the other problem with ICOs is, um, you know, a lot of these coins sell so much in, a, in pre-ICOs to a small group of, uh, you know, preferred people. Um, and, you know, then those people who actually participate in the ICO are underwater from like day one, pretty much. And you just have this sustained selling pressure to people who got this kind of sweetheart deal. So our view is like treat everybody fairly. Everyone gets the same opportunity. And one of the things we did when we started Decred is we gave away um, part of a pre-mine so that we could bootstrap the network with individuals who owned coins um, for free uh, and that they would actually be the people making decisions in the beginning, the early days. So everyone pretty much just had to say, Hey, you know, I got one of these. I just had to sign up and give, you know, like my Twitter and say, I'm a real person. Look at this. Um, and, you know, everyone who did that got, you know, 282 coins, which is worth about, you know, $7,000 today. And if they staked those coins and participated in our governance as we intended them to do, that'd be worth probably about like 42,000 US today. So, uh, you know, not a bad return for just being able to prove you can fog a mirror. So you talked about uh, the origins of Decred. And where did you come into the picture? And what were you doing before? Sure. So um, I was a futures and equities trader for about 10 years. Um, and I kind of discovered Bitcoin in 2010 and you fell in love with the idea of having, you know, this, being able to have this kind of sovereignty over your own money. Um, and then, you know, like my, my investor mindset was, you know, follow the smartest people in the space um, from that point on. And that's kind of how I, I found, you know, the, uh, the guys from Company Zero, Jake and his team working on Bitcoin. I thought these were to be able to uh, re-implement Bitcoin in a different language, um, you have to know it like the back of your hand. You have to be able to literally take apart the old system, analyze every piece and put it and recreate it from scratch in a new language. Um, so, you know, these were kind of like the foremost um, Bitcoin experts in the space. I would argue that, you know, outside of the Satoshi team, there's probably no team out there that knows, you know, Bitcoin as well. Um, so that, that was kind of my, my reason for following them so closely. And I, I kind of watched how things devolved um, and, you know, found out about Taco Times Men.2 paper and thought, you know, this is amazing. I wish Bitcoin could have something like this. Um, so, you know, when the two teams merged and decided to create um, a currency um, based on some of these ideas, I thought for me, I got the same feeling I got when I first discovered Bitcoin. Like, wow, this is revolutionary and this is a no-brainer Bitcoin hedge. I think everyone who owns Bitcoin is going to want to have this as a hedge in your portfolio just because um, it's it's got so many of the fun, fundamental things that make Bitcoin amazing uh, baked into it. And then it's got this novel system on top of it that Bitcoin can never have because it's ossified, which is great in many ways, but means that it can't, you know, progress um, in other ways. Everything has to be, you know, um, soft forked in and done off chain. And you think that the Decred developers know Bitcoin even better than the Bitcoin Core developers? Um, yeah, honestly, I, I'd say it'd be uh, it, it, that would be really tight. I, I, I think so. Um, they the work that they did. I mean, writing it from scratch the way they did uh, was was quite the, the feat. Um, to be able to reproduce bug for bug. Um, how the consensus rules work uh, requires an understanding that's, that's really unparalleled. Um, 
Yeah. yeah. And just to clarify for listeners, I think the main Bitcoin core client is written in C or C++ and they had written Correct. one in Go language, which is obviously different. And, and it is true uh, to recreate a, a functioning client in a completely different language. You definitely need to understand the protocol well. Um, but <laughs> I have a feeling there would be um, a lot of people who would disagree with you. <laughs> Oh, they're, they're, they're welcome to. <laughs> I want to be a little controversial. Okay. Okay. Well, I think you, you definitely staked your claim there. Um, <laughs> so yeah, why don't we go into how the governance system in Decred works? And actually, before we get into the details, can you just sort of start with the overall philosophy around governance of crypto networks? Sure. For us, philosophy is skin in the game. So if I asked you, like, who's in charge of Bitcoin? Well, I guess you kind of know who Jake thinks is in charge and like you might have a different opinion. And that's, that's valid in my view. And I might have a different opinion, too. So people, the big three that people usually point to are, you know, uh, miners. Um, the other one would be node operators. And some people say developers. Right. But just the fact that, you know, like we can have this debate means that it's not clear. Right. So they've made a clear choice of making no choice. So their governance is pretty uh, anarchic, which is fine because, you know, Bitcoin has certain properties to it uh, that make that okay. First mover advantage is one of them. Um, but for us, the main issue we wanted to solve right off the bat is who's in charge. So if you ask me who's in charge of Decred, I can give you a clean answer and I can explain exactly how that works. And the answer is stakeholders, people who own the coins, the people with the most skin in the game. So if you own Decred, um, you know, you're in charge. Okay, so why don't you then describe how the system works? Great. So um, basically, people take their decred, and once they own some, they can actually lock it up into what we call a ticket. And there's a pool of tickets. Now, the target for this pool is about 40,960. 40, and if you own one of these, um, you're called in a lottery. So much of the way, um, you know, Bitcoin is... Uh, a lottery on hash power, proof of work, right? We're choosing random miners who are playing this lottery to, to validate blocks. Proof of stake is kind of a lottery on these tickets where you get pulled out. So, um, you know, we work a lot like Bitcoin in terms of the proof of work side. So we have two validation systems in our blockchain, proof of work and proof of stake. The proof of stake miners create the new blocks and they get added to the blockchain. And then the proof of stake system, the ticket holders, uh, participate by verifying that they accept the block to the system. So it kind of acts as like a second authentication factor on the chain. So every time a block is proposed, um, you know, five randomly selected tickets are included um, to vote on the validity of the prior block. And if three of those five approve it, it gets added. And we can actually use that to upgrade the network as well, which we can get into a little bit later. And why do you have this hybrid proof-of-work, proof-of-stake system? Because a lot of other networks choose one or the other. Sure, exactly. So we found that like each each has its own weaknesses and each has its own strengths. So one of the main problems with proof of stake is, you know, how do you start up, right? So for for a project that's just taking people's money like an ICO, it's easy. I take your money, I give you some coins, right? But, you know, there's no mechanism after for, you know, distributing the coins other than that, right? So we think proof of work is an awesome way of not only creating security, but also coin distribution. Um, so it's not a few people in Decred who are able to acquire all the coins in the beginning who hold power forever because new coins are always being produced. And proof of work is pr producing two, twice as much as proof of stake, thus diluting all the people who happen to be lucky and get in earlier. Um, so they work together in a symbiotic relationship where proof of work is basically producing blocks as a service to the network. You know, we're not asking them to tell us, you know, where they want to go in terms of features or this or that. It's block production as a service. They package those transactions. They make sure they're secure. Uh, they make sure they conform to the consensus rules. They broadcast it and they get paid for doing it. And that's all we want from them. We really don't expect anything else. And then you briefly touched on tickets as part of the Decred governance system. And this yes. actually took my it took me a little while to wrap my head around. But why don't you just describe more in full what tickets are for, what people do with them, how they function in the system? Cool. Tickets are, are basically for voting. So they actually let you do, um, you know, three main things. And it's, it's really interesting because um, two of those things have to do with, with voting. Um, one of them is 
every time a blocker is produced, you have those tickets being called to say whether or not they want to add it to the chain, right? So most of the time, that's pretty straightforward. Everything gets added to the chain. If there was a misbehaving miner, like a miner who was mining empty blocks, we could create a rule saying, you know what, if a miner mines empty blocks, even though it's valid and conforms to the consensus rules, we're going to reject that. So we could create a rule like that. But the other two things that we really vote on is that when these blocks are created, if we want to have um, a consensus upgrade, we actually pre-program all that code into the system, um, and we actually vote on that. And if that vote passes, it can essentially be activated automatically. So it's not a signaling mechanism. It's actually a selection for a hard fork that will take place if there's a supermajority. Um, and then that third thing is off-chain voting system. So the ticketing system does the on-chain voting for blocks and for consensus changes, as well as an off-chain system, which we call Politea, which is for signaling how we want to allocate budgets, that 10% treasury that we have, um, and for signaling which uh, features we want to build so people can make proposals or, you know, if we want to hire a PR firm or if we want to hire a new development team, all that kind of stuff can be signaled on Politea. So the idea is, uh, you know, Decred's really adaptable and we're not ideologues about stuff. You know, everything doesn't have to be on-chain or off-chain. We're super pragmatic about these things. Some stuff belongs on-chain and, you know, some stuff belongs off-chain. We find that for things where there's a lot of little decisions being made, um, it's not super uh, sustainable to have it all being dumped on the chain. And just so I understand, can you use the tickets then simultaneously for the off-chain and the on-chain governance? Or do you have to use them just for one or the other at any given moment in time? No, we use them for both. So uh, if you have a live ticket when an on-chain uh, issue is being decided, uh, it'll, be, it'll be valid. And if an, off-chain trend, if an off-chain issue is being decided at the same time, that'll also be valid. If I could give you an analogy, um, which I really like this one, actually, it's really interesting, um, about like kind of like a factory. So like imagine that um, you know, there's a toy car factory with miners, acting as machines that make toy cars, right? And every time a, a toy car is produced, um, five quality inspectors that get randomly selected look at that toy car and decide whether or not it's you know valid, good, right? And if three of them approve, it's good and it gets added to the chain. Now, in terms of how that works for consensus changes, if we decided that we wanted to turn the car factory into a boat factory, that would be like a hard fork, Right. Well, then 75% of the inspectors over a one-month period would need to not only approve those cars, but say also say, hey, you know what? I want to switch to boats. Um, and if that happens and we get to that 75%, uh, you know, it, it automatically changes to a boat factory. And then uh, because everyone's agreed, supermajority, that we've switched, um, it's going to be pretty impossible to find enough people, three or five inspectors, to approve the old toy cars once we're all on boats. And in order to participate in that, I need to stake my decred. So during that Correct. moment in time, I can't be using it to purchase things or pay somebody or whatever. Correct. It needs to be locked up. That's part of the, it's a really important part of the, the skin in the game aspect. And I'm glad you brought it up because compared to other coins, uh, you know, we, we're asking something pretty big of stakeholders in that, you know, they're locking their coins up for an average of uh, 28 days, let's say. But a coin, a, a ticket could be called to vote in as little as uh, one day about, or as long as like 142 days. So you're talking about like up to four months there. So when you lock your decred up, um, you're going to have to deal with the consequences of your votes uh, and, you know, be tied in to, to this system for potentially up to four months. Um, so you need to really be cognizant of what's going on and be really measured um, in, in the kind of things that you vote for, um, because you're stuck, you're stuck with your decisions. Uh, and we think that's really important. That skin in the game is really important because it doesn't allow people to do hit and runs like, Oh yeah, I'm going to vote for this. Cause I think it's going to make the price go up and then boom, well, went up, I'm gone. You know, we really want people to have, um, a long-term vision and be, be in it for longer. And I mean, to me, four months isn't that long. My plan is to be here for, you know, decades from now. And Decred is actually designed, you know, to last for centuries. What, what, everything we've built um, is with an eye towards being adaptable enough um, to make any change necessary uh, to deal with the unknown unknowns of the future. And at the moment, about 50% of Decred is staked, which that seems fairly high to me. 
Um, what do you make of that percentage? Um, yeah, it's been steadily increasing. I think it's fantastic, actually. It just shows that, you know, I mean, there's there's a couple incentives to stake, right? We can't ignore the big one is, you know, you're getting paid to stake to some extent. Um, so you receive part of the block reward for staking. So, I mean, it is profitable. Uh, but I think even aside from that, you know, there, there there is an incentive for people to actually participate and help make Decred better, right? So, like, if I could give you an example, uh, we had a vote um, last week, uh, and, you know, there was a developer that, you know, did some work. Uh, he built some some tools in Python, basically, a Decred toolkit in Python, and uh, finished the work and then put it up on our proposal system, Politea, and said, hey, guys, you know, I've built this these cool tools for Decred. Um, are you guys willing to pay me for them? You know, it's all open source code. It's all out there. So if we say no, you know, he's not getting paid. We've got the work, right? It's under a permissive license already. Um, and what the stakeholders did is they, they voted on whether or not we should pay this person, you know, $8,000 for these hours and hours of work that they did. Um, and it passed, you know, with 94%. Um, and they got paid. So we're, we're able to organize labor and compensate people. So it doesn't always work that way where people do the work first. Uh, but often you'll find that, you know, people do a little bit of work and get paid in arrears. Um, and it, it's really an interesting way of being able to, to sustain the project. All right. So we're going to keep talking about Decred's governance. I was going to say Bitcoin's governance. <laughs> Decred's governance and its new feature uh, in a little bit. But first, a quick word from the sponsors who make this show possible. When buying crypto, price matters. With the Crypto.com app, you can buy more than 40 coins at true cost. Our multi-exchange trading engine ensures the lowest possible prices to buy crypto with no fees or markups. Not only is the app good for buying crypto, it's also good for growing crypto. You can earn up to 8% per year on BTC, ETH, XRP, and more when you make a deposit into the one-month, three-month, or flexible terms. You just have to deposit your crypto to begin. Interests are paid out weekly and immediately available for use. Start earning through the Crypto.com app. Available on the App Store and Google Play. Will the world follow France and advocate banning privacy coins? Will government-backed stablecoins become the new fiat? Are distributed and peer-to-peer exchanges just a flash in the pan? The answer is maybe. Virtual currencies can flourish and create a new, private, and more versatile economy. But that grand vision can't happen without keeping crypto clean. And that requires support of governments and accountability for bad actors. Privacy-enhanced compliance using cryptographic controls has the potential to preserve anonymity without compromising legitimate investigations. CypherTrace is working on this vision of the future. Sign up to stay up to date on the privacy-enhanced compliance initiative and receive authoritative crypto AML reports quarterly. www.cyphertrace.com slash keep crypto clean. Today's episode is brought to you by Kraken. Kraken is the best exchange in the world for buying and selling digital assets. With all the recent exchange hacks and other troubles, you want to trade on an exchange you can trust. Kraken's focus on security is utterly amazing. Their liquidity is deep and their fee structure is great with no minimum or hidden fees. They even reward you for trading so you can make more trades for less. If you're a beginner, you will find an easy on-ramp from five fiat currencies. And if you're an advanced trader, you'll love their 5x margin and futures trading. To learn more, please go to kraken.com. That's K-R-A-K-E-N.com. Back to my conversation with Jay-Z. So one thing that we uh, haven't really dived into is that Decred has a pretty high inflation rate, 28%. And when you combine that with the staking rewards, doesn't that incentivize more people to just stake Decred rather than actually use it? Um, I mean, staking certainly helps offset some of that inflationary effect. Um, as, as we discussed earlier, you know, a lot of that's by design. So the curve is very similar to Bitcoin. So, you know, like imagine where Bitcoin was in like year three. That's pretty much where we are. Um, so, yeah, it, it does help a little bit. But again, you're still being um, diluted by design because we want new people who show up to be able to have a, a voice. Um, so compared to like a pure proof of stake coin where like, you know, you can, you can get a foothold on, on the governance if you were there first, you know, if you had 51% of coins from the start, you're always going to have 51%, right? Um, well, compared to that, you know, new coins are always being produced so that new people can, uh, can have their voices heard. 
So we think that's we think that's a real positive. But over over the long term, it'll it'll stabilize and uh, and level off. One thing that we find is you know, which is really interesting, is that you know stakers tend to take the coins that they get for proof stake and you know restake them. And even proof of work miners, a lot of them actually you know they mine decred because they want to stake it and then participate in the ecosystem. They're not necessarily mining it and then just blowing it out because it's you know another asset for them. So we think that's. A really positive development that you know there's a lot of a lot of people who view this um you know this contention between miners and and developers in, in, in other cryptocurrencies and we just haven't experienced that at all we find that you know because we have this clearly defined set of rules um it makes conflict resolution easy and because everyone knows what the rules are there isn't a lot of fighting and you talked earlier about the you know different kinds of voting that you can do when you have tickets. So, what percentage of people are participating generally? That's actually a great question. So, I'm, I'm actually surprised how high it is. So, for for that super important stuff, those consensus rules, where it's like, hey, do we want to raise the block size? You know, so for the on chain stuff, we find that like 50 percent of people will usually cast a vote on those. So about half of the people, uh, the other half are abstaining, which doesn't really matter because they still receive proof of stake rewards. Um, they're just not expressing um, a choice, you know? So if let's say I don't have a lot of time to follow, you know, what's going on in terms of consensus rules. And I, I feel I'm not educated enough to make a specific decision about this rule at this time. Um, I can abstain, but if I decide I want to vote, you know, and I educate myself and hear from different developers, on what, what, what they think are the advantages of a specific rule, um, I get to vote. So 50% participate in those super, super important ones. And then on the uh, Politeo side for, for managing the treasury, hiring people and whatnot, um, it's a little bit lower because those votes are happening really often. So like there's like at least I think two going on right now. And uh, like last week there was a bunch. That's like, it's kind of consistent. Uh, there's, there's rolling votes. Uh, we usually see about a third of, of voters um, can participate in that. Um, it can go higher depending on how exciting something is, um, you know, but sometimes people just, you know, aren't, don't bother, uh, which is fine. But I think the important distinction to make is, you know, um, you know, there's no delegation in Decred. So when you're, when you're voting, um, you know, you're actually voting. It's you expressing a choice. You can't just be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to delegate my vote to Jay-Z and uh, let him let him vote. Um, and then pump up the numbers by virtue of everyone just delegating so that they can get paid. Um, the people that are voting are actually making a conscious decision to participate. Um, and they're not saying, you know, Oh, I'll let someone else handle it, which I think is important. Wow. That's amazing. I actually wasn't aware that it was impossible to delegate. So, um, you know, cause as you probably know, there are, so many of these other systems do enable that. But then that also, I guess, requires that if for whatever reason, because here's the thing, like, so if you're going to stake, you need to be online the whole time, right? Yeah, that's, we actually have a really interesting way of dealing with that. So for people who are, you know, a little technically savvy, they'll have a, a machine, a server that, you know, will will answer when those votes get uh, get called, right? Um, for people who are less technically savvy or just, you know, don't want to deal with the burden of that, what we have is something called stake pools. And what a stake pool does is it lets you create this multi-signature transaction whereby the pool can cast the vote on your behalf but not spend your coins. So you can say to the pool, I want to vote um, yes to this proposal um, to fund this this code being written. And then when your ticket gets called as part of that normal process over the next you know, four months, um, that pool will say, oh, yep, this is Laura's ticket. What did she want? Oh, she said she wanted to vote yes for this. And then she'll go ahead and she'll go ahead and have that vote cast um, and receive your reward for that, uh, but not necessarily have to have your machine online. So the, the coins will flow back to an address that you provided. The pool never touches your money. Um, but you get to participate in the governance. And one other thing I wanted to ask about what you said earlier is you mentioned that there, so we talked about how there's 50% roughly of uh, decred staked at any given time. And then you were saying that the participating, I guess, ticket holders for the um, big consensus changes are at about 50%. So that's, so overall that ends up being about 25% of the network. Correct. And then, 
Okay. And then, so if it's a third for the softer proposals done through Politea, then I guess that is, what is that? That's like 17% or something. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And I guess potentially the remaining half of the network that hasn't staked their decred, they're potentially like using it or, or trading it or, you know, whatever they're doing. Is that? Sure. They could have it on exchanges. They could have it on a paper wallet. I mean, it's, it's much like Bitcoin, right? People will store it in all sorts of different ways. Um, you know, put, having your decred uh, participate in, in staking, you know, makes it, puts it, um, you know, on the machine, essentially that needs to be able to be online, purchase tickets for some people, their security model is such that, you know, they don't want their coins exposed that way. Everything's going to go on a hardware wallet or everything's going to go on a paper wallet. Um, so th- there are different things we think we can do longer term um, to kind of accommodate that in terms of security. Cause you know, we're, we're all security nuts. We, we want to make things as secure as possible. Uh, but for now we, we're pretty pleased with, uh, with the levels of partic- participation that we're seeing. And I know that you guys also talk about how Decred is supposed to be resistant to contentious hard forks. So can mm-hmm. you talk a little bit about that, how the design discourages contentious hard forks? Sure. So basically what we're doing is we're allowing people to, to vote on these hard fork rules. So imagine we want to increase the block size um, to two megabytes or what have you. Um, what basically happens is there'd be a multi-pronged process. First, a developer would say, you know, I'm, I'm willing to undertake this. I'm going to write a document out that explains, you know, how this is going to work. That'd be a DCP, which is very similar to Bitcoin's BIPs, right? Um, so the decred change proposal would be written describing exactly how this is going to happen. And then they would go put that up on Politea, the off-chain voting system. Now, that would be a great signaling mechanism for the community to come in and say, hey, you know, like, do we want this? Do we not want this? Now, if they can get 60% of the vote on Politea, it's it's a pass, right? So they could say, hey, I need some money to do this. Um, this is what we want to do. And if that passes, that would then give them the signal to go write this code. Now, when they write that code, what we would do is we would automatically put it into the client. It wouldn't be active, though. So next time when you upgrade your Decred software, you're going to have this new agenda in there this code that upgrades, you know, to two megabyte blocks. Um, and what that does is when we start this voting period, everyone's going to get to see that. And if you're a stakeholder and you have tickets, you're eventually going to be voting on this. Now, when you're voting on this, you're not signaling as you were on Politea that you want this done. You're voting on code that is written. It's in the client and it's ready to turn on once, you know, the vote passes. If it does, um, you know, 30, 30, we give it a grace period of 30 days after that. So people have time to upgrade if they're, you know, laggards, but, um, but that's pretty much how that works. So if 75%, so the bar is higher for consensus changes, 75%. So you have a, a significant supermajority there. If 75% agree, um, that new code activates and everyone who's got it in their clients is now using those new rules, right? Now, in order to protest, um, you would need to start using older software. Now, what you're going to find is if you're using that older software is there's no miners mining those blocks, and there's no validators, proof of stake people, um, validating those blocks, right? Because they've all moved on. As we saw with the toy car factory, you know, if we move to a different factory and are producing different things and you're calling for inspectors, um, no one's going to show up because they're all gone. So um, the probability of a minority fork being able to succeed becomes really slim. So we call it minority fork resistant as opposed to, you know, fork proof because, you know, forking is controlled, um, but we do it in a way that allows things to happen really smoothly. Yeah, I found that super interesting when I read about it. I mean, obviously, I think it doesn't prevent somebody from just copying the code base and being like, I think Decred should be designed differently and like, you know, don't want to go through this whole thing to like try to change the network. But in this case, when if there's some kind of like divisive matter, then yeah, like the losing side, it would be much harder for them to uh, to take the minority chain and keep that alive. Yeah, I think you, you hit the nail on the head there in terms of that. I mean, we don't mind if, you know, people want to take open source code and go do their own things. But what this is really to do is to keep the community together. You know, we, we always say, you know, you can fork code, but you can't fork a community, right? Um, you know, people are going to choose one side or the other and, you know, you can't copy people. Um, and what, what, what has a lot of value in Decred is, you know, the people, the community making all these intelligent decisions and writing all this great code and having a mechanism to stay together cohesively. Because um, what you find out is that when you have a method of expressing yourself and a fair system to do it, 
you know, people aren't so angry when things don't go their way because, you know, there's a process that they've already bought into. So if I could give an example, like when we wanted to um, activate the primitives for Lightning Network, um, you know, we had these huge discussions in the community. Oh, you know, is Lightning good? Is Lightning bad? Is on-chain better than off-chain? And, you know, people were kind of fighting. Um, but what we found out is when that people voted on the actual change um, that, you know, it passed with over 98% support which basically told us that, you know, the loudest people, um, you know, kind of can dominate conversations, but they're not necessarily representative of what the average person wants. I would love it if we could translate that to our um, overall online communities and uh, in political system, because I feel like I see that happen all the time where the loudest people don't represent what everybody else wants. But anyway, um, one other thing that I wanted to reference about some of your earlier remarks was that actually I did have a question where I was going to ask you because um, I didn't actually fully understand that Politea and uh, the hard fork changes were used in conjunction with each other. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, like you have to write the whole code first and then like it gets decided on because what if you <laughs> do all this work and you don't get paid? I <laughs> yeah. just, like I, you know, was a freelancer for like years and years and I was just like, what? Um, but okay. So that, that answer is a big question because, because <laughs> otherwise I was like, who in the hell is going to do that? <laughs> oh, one of our cornerstones is we don't expect people to work for free. I mean, I'm a volunteer. I've been volunteering full time for like three years now. Our project lead is a volunteer. But we have 75 people who are, you know, paid. We pay them. Half of them are full-time, half of them are part-time about. And, you know, we're all about paying people to do good work. All right. So we have been referring to Politea throughout, but um, I'm going to ask you a question. And I think through this also, if you have anything left about Politea that you want to uh, add, you can you can do it. But um, one thing I also wanted to talk about was how the Decred Block Reward includes um, – well, basically, it's split 60% to miners, 30% to stakers, and 10% to the Decred development mm-hmm. pool. So if you uh, could just fill listeners in on what that is and maybe even also how it works with Politea, et cetera. Sure. So this treasury is basically a huge pile of money that's been collecting over the last three years. Um, you know, um, Last I checked, there was you know $15 million or more that's piled up of Decred there, and it's constantly being refilled because every block, 10% of that block award is going there. Um, and we're pretty conservative with the spending. So uh, what's being the new stuff that's being produced pretty much covers, you know, the monthly burn rate. So this pile of money is there and growing. And it's obviously dependent on the price of the cryptocurrency. So, you know, in, in the depths of alt winter as we are now, uh, you know, that's you know, not that high. But if, you know, the price goes up, you know, we have more money to, to work with. Um, so contractors are able to come work for the project um, and get paid in Decred. And that process is organized on this off-chain proposal system called Politea, which is where people can make proposals um, and get paid. Um, and uh, we have multiple ways of doing this. There's, you know, regular independent contractors that can come. And, you know, you could be like, hey, um, I'm, I'm a dev. I want to start hacking on Decred. And it's a pretty informal process um, to get someone hired that way. You know, if a couple people who are your peers say, oh, yeah, you know, Laura's great at writing code. Um, we've looked at her work, you know, let's start paying her. And that would just be, you know, two people who are already contractors would endorse you and you'd start working. But if you want to do something big, you're like, I got, I got my own devs. I want to build a big feature on Decred. Um, you know, you could become a corporate contractor and say, you know, I'm going to build X, Y, and Z. If you guys want, I need a million dollars to do it over the next six months and propose that on Politea and have a draw schedule. And we'd be able to look this over, get it peer reviewed, um, if there were consensus changes necessary, you would obviously have to have uh, appropriate documents um, and, you know, like fight it out and discuss it, you know, whether this is a good price, uh, whether or not we want this feature built, and then we get to vote on that. And that, that's really the unique thing about Politea is it lets us vote on all these little things that aren't like super important long term. I mean, they're not going to make or break the network like consensus rules were, will, but there's, it's still important to have like finality to be able to make decisions. Yeah. So decisions. Um, there is a new decision that's been made, which is uh, what we're announcing today. And um, it's basically about a new privacy feature that you guys are launching. So why don't you tell us about that? Oh, wow. Yeah, this has been um, about two years in the making. So, I mean, as you know, Decred is super conservative and has a very iterative approach. And like, we don't like to do something just because, you know, it's trendy. We're not trying to win uh, 
blockchain buzzword bingo. Um, but, you know, when we think a feature actually is important, um, we, we work really hard to bring the best possible um, option forward. And uh, that's kind of what we've done with privacy. Two years have been spent analyzing everything that's been, you know, written on it uh, in terms of academic work and uh, analyzing all the other implementations that are out there. And we, we've come up with something that's uh, very unique in its approach. Which is? Well, um, the, the, the privacy feature is actually based on something called a dice mix. So dice mix is kind of the follow-on um, to some work that was done um, by, by academics. Um, they originally modeled it on you know, working on, 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 on the Bitcoin system. But uh, it applies very well to Decred for a number of reasons that we can get into. Um, but it's, it's actually really interesting because it's, it's super simple. You know, the math, everything behind it is really straightforward and well understood. It's, it's only a few hundred lines of code that we've written to implement this. Um, so, you know, it's going to be easy to audit, you know, low chances of, of, of fatal errors. Um, it, it, it's kind of a little bit reminiscent of the way Bitcoin's built. You know, it's all these existing... Um, all these existing pieces in, in terms of cryptography um, and, and game theory that are just put together in a unique way, as opposed to something that's like, you know, totally off the wall. Uh, so, uh, so it's, it, it's a creative use of existing technology. Um, and then, you know, it, it's also nice and adaptable because we can, there are places we can pivot and go to different places with this to make it better. Um, so the way, the way dice mix works um, is basically it's, it's a mixing process with a server that basically allows people to take coins, um, send them to that, send them uh, to these special addresses um, where they're mixed, and then have you know clean coins come out. And we can get a little bit into uh, you know, how that works, um, if you like. Yeah. Well, can you? Sure. Um, I'll, I'll describe it maybe like technically first, and then describe it like more basically. Um, so uh i'm kind of like a high level guy so like i'm not really into the super nitty-gritty stuff but i'll I'll do that a little bit um so basically um what it's doing is it's just allowing uh, peers to do these mixes together there's no the server is centralized in terms of you know you need to talk to that specific server to be able to go into this transaction but it at no point holds custody of the coins or or anything like that so there's no risk there so peers are going to like subscribe to these sessions that are going to take place, these mixing sessions. Um, and then there's like a specific time window whereby you subscribe. So let's say every 300 seconds, I believe it is. It's like five minutes. Um, people will be able to say, Hey, you know, I want to, I want to mix some coins. Um, and what you do is when you, when you do that, you're going to be exchanging some public keys and, uh, and creating these secret keys. And then, uh, peers are going to take these addresses and, uh, and obfuscate them and then send that to the server. And then the server takes all that data together. Um, and solves a bunch of bunch of fancy math equations um, to get these anonymous payout addresses, um, and then essentially a mixing transaction takes place where there's a, a huge transaction aggregated um, where all the peers verify it and sign that transaction, and then everything gets spit out. So, like that's a really long-winded way of saying like we take a hat, like we break down our coins into small denominations. Like let's say you have a hundred and I have like ten coins. Well, we'll break them down into ones. We'll dump them in the hat. You know, we'll shuffle them up. Um, we'll make sure that we each get back an appropriate amount of coins. Verify that in those little lots. Um, agree to that transaction, and then the person controlling that hat will you know, spit them out, uh, broadcast that transaction to the network, and we'll have you know shuffled coins. And and the way this works really well with Decred, particularly, which is super interesting, is that you know originally the idea was based on Bitcoin. But as we talked about, you know, people don't really hold Bitcoins, you know, live, right? They put them in paper wallets, you know, they, they, keep, they store them offline a lot. What we have with Decred is we have this transaction flow from the, uh, from the proof of stake tickets, right? Money's always moving. You know, tens of thousands of Decred every day are flowing back from tickets that have voted and going back into tickets that are being purchased. So what we have is that we can enable people who are purchasing tickets to do so through this system whereby they're providing um, anonymity for people who want to then go and mix coins. So when you're mixing your coins, let's say that you want to mix, you're going to be mixing them with everyone who's buying tickets and have, has this enabled. And that has a bunch of really interesting advantages that we can talk about. Actually, before we get there, I just wanted to understand, you said that the mixing 
happens via a server. So it sounds centralized. So who's in control of that? And can that be hacked? And can people kind of find out who was using it? Cool. All good questions. All valid questions. Yeah. So for our first cut, what we've done is we've essentially used a centralized server because our view is that like, if you over-optimize this, you know, you're never going to release anything and, you know, you're going to, you're just going to create complexity. So these features were developed in secret because we didn't want someone else scooping us and, you know, taking our, taking our code off GitHub and, you know, doing an ICO saying, oh, we invented a new privacy coin. So um, they were done in secret uh, for, for the first cut to get this stuff out there. But um, because the server is just used for coordination, basically it lets you and I talk to each other, but, you know, we're basically doing our own thing. Um, it's, it's, not, uh, it's not a huge risk. Now, you're right that someone could try and censor you by, let's say, uh, let's say your ISP blocked access to that server. They didn't let you connect to that IP. You might need to use Tor to get around that. I mean, in theory, the server could be DOSed. So it's not a perfect solution yet. Um, the, the iterative approach is that longer term, that server is going to be built into the decred daemon so that every single person running a DCRD, running their own node, is actually going to be able to participate in that transaction and it'll be fully peer-to-peer. But for the first cut, we've kept it really simple and made it uh, a centralized server. And one other thing I wanted to ask about kind of uh, how you guys were working on this secretly. So did the community not have any input onto this or did they decide this or? That's a great question. So um, what happened here is because, I mean, everything's community driven, right? If this required money and it did, um, community would have to approve it, right? So it wasn't appropriate to, you know, use community money to build something in secret. Um, So two interesting things are, um, Jake and his team, well, Jake bankrolled this out of his own pocket. He figured, you know, this is something that we feel is super necessary. You know, we're all privacy advocates. We believe that, you know, to be a currency, you need fungibility, right? Um, it doesn't make sense if, you know, you go buy a cup of coffee and then I'm able to figure out, you know, your net worth based on, hey, that went from that wallet to that wallet. And, hey, there's, you know, millions of dollars of, you know, Decred or Bitcoin in that wallet. So for us, it's, it's fundamental to be able to have privacy. And this is something that we thought, you know, we're, we're really going to need. Um, so those guys essentially built this um, for free. Um, and because it doesn't require consensus changes, um, when people download this, they can download this and start using it right away. Um, at first, it's just going to be CLI. So it'll be for, you know, like the nerds like me who like running their own CLI tools. Well, what um, is CLI? And- Oh, command line. So there won't be a pretty interface to it so that people can use it from their from their mobile wallets and their graphical wallets. Yeah. But we figure that in a few months from now, we'll integrate it into there. So first, again, it's an iterative approach. We start, you know, testing it with all the people who are really hardcore, um, you know, making sure everything's perfect and then integrate it into the graphical user interfaces so that people can use it really simply and you know, protect their protect their anonymity. All right. So now, yeah, let's go back. There was a point where you uh, were going to dive into the details on how this works. Why don't we do that now? Sure. Um, so the, the, uh, a basic way to explain how, um, you know, how this transaction is happening uh, is, is, a, is a secure sum example. Um, and the way this works is, let's say you had three people, um, Alice, Bob, and Carol, and they wanted to know together how many coins they have, right? The total. Um, now, without revealing to any single party what their total you know, net worth was, well, what they could each do is then split those coins up into three parts, right? Three unequal parts. Um, give a, each, each of the other two counterparties one of those parts, and each person would do the exact same thing. And what that would do is essentially everyone would be holding a share of their coins, a share of and a share of the other two people's coins. And what they could do with that information is add all those numbers up themselves, broadcast that number, right? And then take those numbers that have been broadcast and add all those numbers up and know what the actual sum of all their stuff is together without revealing anything to each other about their net worth, right? So that's basically what's happening. And the server is just acting as, as coordination for creating these transactions signing them without revealing anything to each other or the server, and then solving this big math puzzle and broadcasting it. And one of the things we think is super important, and this is a, an advantage, so like there, there may be drawbacks to having a centralized server, but there's also a super advantage is that none of this stuff, none of, this, none of these encrypted bits are hitting the blockchain. So if you look at like a Monero or a Zcash, right, 
you have this chain being bloated by all these encrypted transactions, right? And you have this danger that, you know, if one day someone's able to break this encryption, they'll be they'll have the keys to the kingdom. They'll be able to see everything that was sent to everyone, right? Whereby here, since you're only getting the final transaction of everything being distributed after it's mixed, um, breaking the security really has no value unless, like, you were capturing somehow, you controlled the server and you were capturing what was happening on there as well. So uh, for us, we see it as very scalable, which is, which is amazing. So one thing is that for now, um, all it does is hide who is sending coins to whom. Um, Correct. And so transaction amounts are exposed. So obviously, you know, just as would happen in any transaction where you're, for instance, paying in cash, there will be change uh, from those transactions. So how do you handle the change so that people can't kind of like, you know, kind of uh, work backwards to figure out how much people were spending and who was sending money to whom. Right. That's, that's a great question, actually. And it's a super problem. So our view is that eventually we'd like to get, um, you know, the transactions being hidden as well. Um, it's, it's on the roadmap in theory. Uh, it's going to require confidential transactions and consensus changes. But for a first cut, again, we're, we're pretty much doing it kind of like, kind of like the way Monero did it. Monero didn't have this transaction hiding until uh, much later. Um, so we think the most important part is, you know, the sender and the receiver. So when you get that change, it's important that the wallet takes it and puts it into another pile to be remixed in the future. So it's not going to come back to you in a way whereby, oh, I can spend this by mistake and then link all those transactions together. The change will go back into the mixing wallet and get down mixed in future transactions. So we need to be super careful with the way the change is carried because you're right. This is this is a big risk. And one other feature that Zcash and Monero have um, is a viewing key where, uh, you know, for auditing purposes or, or really any purpose, you can always um, reveal what happened in that transaction selectively to whoever you'd like. Is there going to be such a thing for your privacy feature? Well, what's actually cool is we've obviated the need for that viewing key because you're actually having a transparent on-chain on chain transaction again, so I can show if I need to. Hey, look at this transaction. You give me an address, and I can show you. Oh, all these all these inputs got sent to this address. Um, so we, we don't really need to have the ability to deobfuscate a transaction on chain. It's all clear there on chain. And again, what's nice about that is that you know it leads to it, it leads to a much cleaner chain that can be pruned, right? So it's not these blobs of encrypted data that we you know we don't know what they are. We have to basically make everyone download all of them. Um, they can choose what they want to download. So uh, it, it's an opt-in system, and we think that that confers a, a lot of a lot of strengths to the system. It's also it, it's also much less complex, right? So when you have systems like um, like Zcash or Monero. Um, there's a chance for things like stealth inflation, but because everything's transparent on the chain, uh, you know, if someone breaks this encryption, they're not able to mint decred secretly, right? So that's that's kind of like one of those big concerns that a lot of people have with with Zcash in particular. Whereas, you know, if they screwed up the trust setup, um, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, we're in cryptocurrency because we don't trust anybody. But now you've got like this this big event happening where you have to trust these people that they did things right, and if it got screwed up. Someone can secretly create unlimited money. For us as a store of value, like protecting those store of value properties are the most important thing. So we want to make sure that people know, you know, 21 million coins, it's never going to be more than that. And we can prove that on chain. It's all auditable. And that ties back into our proposal system. You know, if we're paying you through the proposal system, you know, we need to be able to audit that. Anyone needs to be able to audit that. They don't have to have a special view key. They can see, you know, um, this group did this work. The treasury paid them this amount of money, and it was all transparent on chain. So throughout, we've been talking about features that Decred wants to add to its system, um, even just with the privacy feature just announced. Obviously, you're going to keep flushing that out and iterating, as you've mentioned, you know, adding uh, privacy and transaction amounts. And it sounds like also at a certain point in the future, will it be less centralized? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the goal. The idea is um, once we have this stuff working, get rid of that centralized server, have it integrated into the daemon and uh, and go from there. Have the confidential transactions as well so that you don't know about the actual uh, number, the transaction size, um, and then be able to, to take it to the next step. 
Yeah. And this is sort of a theme I noticed in the research, which is that in general, it sounds like kind of an overarching goal that you have is for even the governance mechanisms to also become more decentralized and autonomous. And in some of your materials, you also refer to something called decentralized autonomous entities. So, you know, at the moment, you know, you even talked about how just to roll out this feature, there was, you know, a centralized aspect where you guys worked in secret. So how do you imagine transitioning to that sort of more decentralized autonomous version of governance? And what and what does that look like? Yeah, that's actually a great question. It's something we're struggling with constantly because our view is, you know, decentralize all the things, right? But there's a big difference between saying it and actually doing it because there's technology that doesn't exist yet, right? So, like, we had to invent Politea to do all these different things off-chain because before that, it was, like, just literally, like, you know, a small core group of people deciding, you know, this is going to get funded, that's going to get funded. We needed a way to be able to pull all the stakeholders um, and have these binding votes. And even today, you know, there's there's still an area that can be improved in that, you know, when Politea payments are going out, that's still a centralized process. You know, someone is taking a bunch of people are having these multi-sig addresses and signing that transaction and sending them out. So that's not great. I mean, as a stakeholder, I should be part of that process, right. Of making those, making those payments. And that's actually the next step that you referred to to have real decentralized autonomous organization, whereby we actually control the money on chain um, to release these payments after we voted for this or that. Um, and that's that's actually a really complex problem. And uh, we had someone who got a proposal passed to start working on that. And it's, it's, it's being worked on. And we're hoping that by by the end of this year, we'll have made significant headway to that uh, there. So, I mean, I mean, we have, it's a good problem to have that, you know, our treasury, our decentralized treasury um, isn't totally decentralized because most projects don't have a treasury at all. Um, but it's still a problem that needs to be addressed because, um, you know, we don't like any uh, single point of failure. So, you know, if someone gets hit by a bus, if someone decides they want to, you know, rob us or whatnot, that's that's not good. We literally want to have to trust no one. It does seem, you know, as we've mentioned, some of these stats, like around 50% of the coins being staked and these high participation rates on some of the uh, the votes uh, it does seem that you guys have a pretty engaged community. And yet at the same time, the number of monthly active addresses has been going down. And then simultaneously, the NVT ratio, which is basically the network value divided by the daily transaction volume has gone up, uh, which if that goes up, it you know, kind of can indicate that something is overvalued, although your network is nowhere near uh, what some of the other coins are at. <laughs> um, but anyway, why do you think the monthly active addresses have gone down and how do you plan to get Decred more widely adopted? Right. That's that's interesting because, I mean, uh, one of the things that Decred does by default is literally uses a, a new address for everything. So I, I I think these things kind of ebb and flow naturally. Uh, you know, um, I, I wouldn't read too much into the active addresses because, again, uh, you know, every time you're every time you're buying a ticket, you know, a new address is being generated. Every time you're going to receive coins, a new address is being generated. We're really against address reuse for for the privacy reasons behind that. Um, so I think that's just you know natural fluctuations. The, the number that I really focus on more is percentage of coins and stakes, as as you alluded to, right? So when that's going up, it means you know people are engaged. And uh, you know, to your point about you know overvaluation, yeah, um, it's not something I worry too much about. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm an investor myself. And, uh, you know, in the short term, I see these markets as a casino. And in the long term, you know, they're, they're a test of patience, discipline and focus. And, you know, we're, we're just at the beginning of, you know, really intelligent investors starting to get involved in this space heavily. And I'm very encouraged by what we're seeing around the Decred ecosystem. I mean, Decred is essentially ruled by the people that own the coins. And, you know, we got some of the smartest people in the space uh, taking interest. So I'm very bullish on the future there. And for adoption and getting more usage of Decred, um, how do you or how how is the community uh, thinking about how to make that happen? So, I mean, that's the beautiful thing about the community. There's so many opinions and we can actually take, you know, different approaches to it. So my view is I, I still see Decred as an, an amazing store of value. You know, the, the properties uh, that it has, uh, the improvements to, to that it makes to Bitcoin to make it different, not necessarily better because, I mean, again, Bitcoin's got these 
unique advantages from being the first mover and dominating, uh, you know, the most pervasive uh, hashing algorithm out there. Uh, but the things that make it a little bit different um, give us unique security guarantees. So hybrid proof of stake proof of work that we have uh, makes it so that, you know, at, at 5% of decreds uh, of a Bitcoin's hash rate, let's say, we get the same level of security. Because not only do you have to be able to control mining to take over decred, but you need to actually control all these tickets. So these unique security properties kind of make decred a natural store of value. And a lot of people see it as a hedge to Bitcoin. So, you know, if you're going to own a bunch of Bitcoin, you know, you want to like address tail risks. Like, oh my God, what if something goes wrong with Bitcoin, right? It's probably not going to happen. But as, as any good investor will do is, you know, you're going to, you're going to try and predict everything that could possibly happen. And, you know, we see this store value market as the only area in cryptocurrency that's really well proven as a use case, you know? So there's a lot of cool stuff out there, like, you know, um, various smart contract platforms and whatnot. But the only use case that's really shown real, real use um, and and, and uh, picked up momentum over the years, it seems, has been this, this kind of store value narrative. And that's that's the most basic type of smart contract, you know, transferring value from one person to another. Um, so that's kind of like one of my views on it. And the other is, you know, we want people to use it as a currency as well. So, you know, we'll do everything possible there. And Politea is one of those great things where, you know, people can come, wallet developers can come and say, hey, we'd like to integrate Decred into our payment processing product uh, or whatnot, and we need some money to do it. And because we have that money, uh, we can actually bring on new developers to do that work. So it becomes kind of a virtuous, self-sustaining cycle of, you know, new people can get paid, um, can come into this come into this space and have a place where they can work and learn and, and earn. Um, and what that does is just grow the demand and the use cases for Decred. All right. Well, it's been super fascinating learning about Decred and hearing about your new privacy feature. Where can people learn more about you and Decred? Um, they can go to decred.org. I'm sure they can find me on there and they'll find all sorts of interesting information about the project for sure. Great. Well, thanks so much for coming on Unchained. Thanks so much, Laura. Thanks so much for joining us today. To learn more about Jay-Z and Decred, check out the show notes inside your podcast player. If you're not yet subscribed to my other podcast, Unconfirmed, which is shorter and a bit newsier, be sure to check that out. Also, find out what I think are the top stories each week by starting up for my email newsletter at unchainedpodcast.com. Unchained is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Fractal Recording, Anthony Yoon, Daniel Ness, and Rich Struffolino. Thanks for listening.